Welcome to Talking Buildings. Broadcasting from the world-famous Bondi Beach. Bondi Radio. This is Talking Buildings, a Sibsi Australia and New Zealand production. I'm Paul Angus, the Sibsi ANZ Regional Chair and the host of Talking Buildings, which we're recording from the world-famous Bondi Beach. In this session, we're going to be focusing on creating inspiration, motivation and what we can all do to get involved in nurturing future generations. We'll be getting down to the grassroots level, focusing not just on children and teenagers who are all the engineers of the future, but also finding out more about how you can get involved in partnering with teachers at schools to provide some real-time knowledge and experience to implement to the classroom. As always, I'm joined by the ever-smiling and cheerful co-host, Sharon Pustonji, Sibsi BDM. Hi, Paul. I agree. Providing inspiration to the engineers of the future is paramount. Being the mother of two, it really pleases me to know that both my kids can have a career path in any field they wish, including science, technology, and engineering, and mathematics. You may have been extremely lucky to have been taught by a teacher who played a pivotal role in creating inspiring and motivating you to um, mold the foundations of who you are, but then again, you may not have been so lucky. Our future generation's education experience and inspiration should not be down to luck, nor should it be about money to pay for better education, and it certainly should not be about life circumstances and your ethnic background. Um, spark that, to spark that magic moment of inspiration, where they enjoy the learning experience, grasp the knowledge, and make them consider the possibility, is the dream, I imagine, um, and the ambition of all teachers. Good for you, Sharon, I agree 100%. If I reflect back on my school days, I can think of a couple of stand-up teachers who I'd say were extremely influential in igniting that flame of inspiration within me at a very young age. But at the same time, when I think back to that moment in secondary or high school, when it came to me having to make a choice in the subjects, which would potentially impact the rest of my life in terms of my career goals, I was pretty much on my own. But luckily, the choices I made were driven by my interest in, say, science fiction, engineering and the arts, mixed with my role models from movies, growing up the likes of Indiana Jones, inspiring me to be an archaeologist one minute, to the fall guy and be a stuntman, or an, after Aberdeen's European success in the 80s to being a footballer. However, realistically, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. As a kid, I loved drawing, and being able to draw in both 2D and 3D at technical drawing classes at school fascinated me, so having that teacher who showed us how those drawings aided production and construction was pretty instrumental for myself. Physics class, again, was also one that blew my mind, and having the ability to be creative at a whole new level, mixing de mixed with demonstrating from a, an enthusiastic teacher who's providing real-life similarities with what we're all doing was brilliant. I have to admit, I wasn't as very enthusiastic about maths, especially when it came to simultaneous equations, but I stuck in with it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Paul. I'm sure we can all look back at our school days and identify one or two teachers who made a difference. But what if those teachers had the support mechanism to inject real-life scenarios into their lessons? What if those teachers or schools could rely on a network of engineering professionals willing to assist them with course material and deliver educational lessons with a twist? What if we were to focus on how and where technology is advancing in terms of science, technology, engineering, and math with practical lessons they could relate to, have fun, and enjoy learning? Just think for a moment about the endless opportunities, the future education of our children, and goal of creating a pool of talent with no boundaries 
Woohoo! You're on fire today, Sharon. I'm really glad you mentioned those key words there, science, technology, engineering, and maths, which also stands for, or more well-known as STEM. Australia needs a STEM-capable workforce if we're going to continue to prosper in an increasingly complex and competitive world. We require a secure pipeline of STEM talent graduating from the education system into the workforce, and this starts at grassroots level in our primary schools. Unfortunately, it's reported that there is currently a degree of underachievement currently in STEM education in our primary schools. In recent years, the performance of Australian students on international tests of science and mathematics attainment has declined in absolute and relative terms. Of even greater concern is the lack of progress many students make in their numeracy between the years three and five. So what can we do about it? Well, unless we take necessary steps to reverse the stagnation and decline in primary mathematics and science progress and achievement, we risk sub-optimizing our future productivity, competitiveness, and growth. In this episode, we're going to delve deeper into the key recommendations that are a call to action to government, teacher education providers, and the teacher workforce to make STEM education a primary priority. This includes um, providing access to, to a STEM specialist for every Australian primary school, improving the standard of STEM professional development, um, bettering the use of data to enhance assessment and learning in STEM, and increasing the quality of and quantity of STEM instruction. So on that note, it gives me great pleasure to introduce not one, but two very special guests joining us for this session. We're joined today by Candice Lim and Desilee Tate. Candice is a Sydney-based project officer for STEM professionals in the school at the CSIRO Education and Outreach. And Desilee is a gifted and talented teacher at Loretto Carillabilly and Churchill Fellow. She's been in the program for over five years and has been and is currently in multiple successful partnerships with our volunteer STEM professionals. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks so much for inviting us to join you, Paul and Sharon. We really appreciate the opportunity to record the session at Bondi. Yep, thank you. Really enjoy it. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, Candice and Desley, for joining us. And a warm welcome to our podcast, Talking Buildings. We look forward to our discussion on unlocking future engineering potential. Sharon and I briefly set the scene where there, Candice, in terms of the STEM professionals in the school. However... It'd be good if uh, you could maybe just share what the government are doing about this and how important this is to schools and where exactly the CSIRO come into it and how you got involved in the project too. Thanks, Paul. So uh, to expand on the program, STEM Professionals in Schools is funded by the Department of Education and Training and CSIRO and is managed by CSIRO. It began in 2007, so this year celebrates its 10-year anniversary. The program has grown significantly over the last 10 years, as has our reach. Some of your listeners may have known the program as scientists and mathematicians in ICT in schools. This year, the program changed its name to STEM Professionals in Schools to accurately reflect the full reach of our program that incorporates engineering and the importance of these skills for our future. We've facilitated more than 6,000 partnerships since the program began, and there are currently more than 1,200 schools involved in the program, wow. and Desley's part of that. Um, the government's National Innovation and Science Agenda, or NISA, states that over the next decade, an estimated 75% of jobs in the fastest-growing industries will need skills in science, technology, engineering, and math, or STEM. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So NISA is supporting a push to increase the participation of all students and the wider community in STEM and recognizes that connecting schools directly with industry will help to engage the next generation by bringing contemporary STEM practice into the classroom. Our program, the STEM Professionals in Schools program, is helping to deliver this by facilitating partnerships between STEM professionals and teachers to bring industry skills into the classroom to equip teachers with skills they need to enhance STEM education. 
the program aligns to the general capabilities of the school curriculum. So through a range of activities, teachers can learn new skills while supporting their STEM lesson plans and can bring the school curriculum to life for the students by showcasing real-world STEM disciplines and how STEM applies to everyday life. By profiling real-life STEM applications, students are inspired to pursue STEM subjects and STEM-related careers. And ultimately, this will help to improve Australia's science literacy, which will ensure Australia has future prosperity and economic growth. Mm -hmm. So just a little bit about uh, my first introduction to the program was when I was actually a volunteer scientist. Um, now I work as the local products officer looking after New South Wales with my colleague based in Newcastle. We have a team of about 16 of us. Um, great people with diverse backgrounds in industry and education, and we're all really passionate about improving STEM education and supporting our volunteers who really do make a difference in engaging teachers and students in STEM subjects. That's wonderful, Candice. Thank you for that. So um, how does the program work exactly, and what are the key goals in making it work? Yeah, um, so we facilitate ongoing partnerships between STEM professionals and teachers, and through the partnerships, teachers and STEM professionals share knowledge and skills to provide authentic learning experiences for students. Um, and so hopefully Desiree will share some of, of her thoughts as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, we're available for support throughout the partnership, but the teachers and STEM professionals determine themselves what activities they would like to do together based on the time they can commit and what they are hoping to gain from the partnership. So there are a range of partnership models that include uh, things like the STEM professional visiting a school to give a careers talk to showcase where they work and what they do, or assisting teachers with lesson planning and mentoring, or excursions and field trips where the STEM professional can attend the excursion. So as an example, we had a university lecture invite students on a field trip to learn about geology and rocks, which directly related to what they were learning at school at the time. So this, yeah, so this put the students' learning into context in a fun and interesting way. Um, other examples include helping with a particular STEM project, like a coding club, or providing online engagement to support the teacher's subject delivery. As you can see, there's, there's a whole range of partnerships and the types of activities that you can do. Um, partnerships are, are ongoing, and it really depends on how much time you can commit. We have some STEM professionals visit schools every week, others once a term, or some help once a year on a particular project. It, it really is what works best for you and your partner. And so that final question of what are the key goals in making it work, and I chatted with um, my team about this one, and, and the big one is really having effective communication between partners. It's something that our whole team really emphasizes when partners get together. It's important for partners to get to know one another and explore different ways they might be able to work together. We have resources on our website and we run webinars that cover this topic of effective communication to help partners get off to a good start. Fabulous. Have you got anything to mention there, Desiree? Um, no, I, I, I agree with everything that yeah. Candace has said there. Um, it's also really important. It's showcasing how real-world STEM skills apply to everyday life. Students understand the relevance of STEM and why it matters. It really puts their learning into context and they can see how STEM skills can apply to a range of scenarios and disciplines. By connecting them with STEM professionals, they're introduced to role models that demonstrate what they're learning in the classroom applies in the real world, which increases the student's understanding of the subject matter. Bringing a STEM professional who works in the field into the classroom to share their experience, it really just inspires the, stu the students to pursue STEM subjects and introduces them to the opportunities a STEM career can offer. Fantastic. So at SIBSI, we're always looking at harnessing and focusing opportunities in the development and training for university students, plus younger engineers beginning their career. Within SIBSI, we have an array of building service engineers working in various walks of life, each with a passion to design, develop, and create buildings and developments of the future by harnessing cutting-edge technology. 
So Candice, how can CBE members get involved in volunteering? What's involved in the in for them to sort of when they join the program? Sure. So you know that being said, there's so much potential for engineers to inspire teachers and students because they can link what's taught in the classroom to real projects that have huge impacts for how we live as a society. It's very easy to get involved. Members interested in participating need to apply online through our website at CSIRO.au or you can Google CSIRO STEM Professionals in Schools and it will come up in the search. The application process will ask you to set up an account through our education portal um, and you enter your contact details including your preferences such as location, organization, and areas of interest. The account enables you to update your details at any time, and you can also manage and check the status of your application. Okay. Yeah, it's one last thing. It's really important to note that both teachers and STEM professionals will need to comply with CSIRO's child safe procedure to ensure the provision of a safe environment for our students. Okay, well, that sounds, sounds e easy, interesting, inspiring. I'm sure that will um, provoke our listeners to get involved. Um, and I'm sure SIBSI members in the Australian region as well will be equally enthusiastic to work with, to work with you on your program. So who is involved um, and what kind of schools um, do you kind of work with and what levels, like what ages? Um, sure, so uh, STEM Professionals in Schools has almost a couple of thousand partnerships currently in action all across Australia in both primary and secondary schools. The program is available for all year levels from kindergarten to year 12 and is available to government, non-government, and independent schools in metro, regional, and remote locations. The program brings together STEM professionals from a range of STEM backgrounds and disciplines including industry, government, academia, and research. In general, we're looking for volunteers with at least a bachelor degree or relevant years of experience in a STEM-related field to qualify as, STEM, as a STEM professional in our program. So once you're registered and partnered, you'll receive the contact details of your partner, and then we encourage you to get in touch with them to develop your partnership and to discuss how you want to work together. Meeting face-to-face -face is a great way to start building rapport and to learn more about each other, um, your background, and what you'd like to do as part of your partnership. But on an ongoing basis, you may prefer other methods of communication, such as email or phone, and that's completely fine as well. So we have, um, again, resources available, including guides on how to get to know your partner, planning an activity, and how to evaluate what you've done to ensure a successful partnership. Um, you also have support from your local projects officer, so I'm the one from New South Wales, throughout your partnership to answer any questions you have, provide activity ideas, or point you in the right direction for resources that may help you. We have a list of all of our projects officers on our website. We also run a series of webinars to help you get started, and we share ways that we have found what works best for partnership development, um, as well as a series of networking events to help you meet others in the program, which might help you share ideas and be inspired. Well, thank you. So. Desi, so um, once you've got a, a partner that you're working with, how do you communicate to plan activities with them? Okay, we're so excited once we get partnered <laughs> with a new engineer or any STEM <laughs> professional. Um, the teachers really, really love it because you, they can certainly deliver the content that we cannot deliver to the students. So we're very, very, you know, very happy when we get one. Yeah. Um, and how do we communicate? Well, we start off with having a face-to-face -face meeting or a phone call meeting and then a face-to-face -face meeting. They come to the school. I take them on a walk-through through the school. I introduce them to the students. They're introduced to the principal. We really make them feel as comfortable as possible. Um, and at that meeting, we decide on what students that the engineer would be working with, making sure that this is what the engineer wants. They talk to me about the content area that they yeah. would like to address with the students and we work that into the syllabus and we work that in with the group of students. 
I then um, let the engineer go away, have a couple of days to think about it, and then they get back to me via email with some dot points about what they would like to do with the students. And that's the way we start our partnership. We then yeah. tend to have a few more phone calls as the time goes on with the engineer. We set a date, and it's all about the engineer or the STEM professional. We work around them. It's about their availability. It's about what they want to deliver to the students and how they want to work with us. So it's, yeah. it's a very easy process. Um, it has never been difficult, and it's always really successful. Everybody wins in this situation. Yeah. So it must be fantastic to know that what you're doing is making such a difference, like not only for the pupils but also for the school and the teachers. Because like, what would you say that, you know, um, that you sort of, uh, the engineers you've worked with over the last five years get out of being um, in this partnership? What, what is it for them? What do the engineers get out of it? Oh, yeah. look, the engineers get out of sitting there with six-year-old <laughs> students that just love everything that they want to tell them about. <laughs> um, and people love to talk about their profession and what they do if they're really passionate. Yeah. So that's one of the benefits. Um, all of the STEM professionals, including the engineers who come and work at the school that I am at, uh, they go away, they say it's a fabulous break from their normal work day. They come in, they're really motivated by the students. Um, and they'd like to deliver what they know about them to yeah. the students. So it's a, it's, as I said, it's a win-win for the students, but it's a really win for the engineers as well. Yeah, I'm sure, Paul, you'd agree it's very different to your everyday working engineering life environment. Oh, yeah, <laughs> very much so, yes. <laughs> um, so, Candice, can I just ask, um, how do you partner an engineer with a school teacher? I mean, is there some kind of supercomputer or matrix in the background that's connecting engineers and teachers based on their technical skills, their experience, their personality? And could you give us some examples of what exactly makes a successful partnership? Uh, sure. So I'll tackle the, the first bit, and I'm going to get Desley to answer the second bit. Um, so we individually match you with a partner based on your location and preferences. We also find that some STEM professionals in the program may want to work with a specific school, like, for example, if their child goes there for um, so we can get that set up as well. So one thing to remember is that although you may be an engineer, you can still bring a full range of skills and knowledge to school activities and subject areas. Um, for example, there was a, a bird expert who was working with the school, and although he thought he would only be applying what he knows from his work, he found he could help on a whole range of activities from testing different types of water on plants and how this influences them to grow to talking about um, an international conference he went to and how the countries he visited applies to geography lessons. So I just wanted to pass it to Desley. Desley, how, do, how about you talk about what you do to keep your partnerships going for so long, because you're really good at it. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Candice. No pressure. Um, <laughs> I, I look, I, I've really enjoyed being part of the program and keeping the um, successful partnerships going. I, I think key to it is clear communication with the STEM professionals. So we make it quite we make it very clear um, what, what we require and then I let them tell us what they require and we work together with that. It's a compromise. Mm -hmm. um, we, also, we also really look after the people that come to our school. So when I say look after them, little things. The kids often make cards for the, for the mentors that Aww. come in. Um, <laughs> we put on morning teas for the mentors. We recognise volunteers week. So you're recognised at our school in that time. And at the end of the year, we actually put on a lunch. It's a very simple lunch for the volunteers that come and work at our school. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a really feel-good situation. It's a feel-good situation for everybody. The students love it. Um, some of the mentors that have been working at our school, some engineers, mm -hmm. um, have cards on their wall for the last five years from our students. <laughs> and they've actually taken photos of their wall for the cards that they've received from our students. So, um, so long as there's open communication, so long as we're f the school is flexible, 
it's an easy path for the engineers to come in and develop a long-term relationship. And most of the engineers that come into the school, they actually want a long-term relationship. They would like to see the children grow and develop. They don't yeah. really want to just come in one day and walk mm -hmm. out. That's not enough for them to give. They would like to give more. So we like to encourage long-term relationships mm -hmm. and that tends to develop long partnerships. Yeah, yeah. sounds really good. We all like a bit of a feel-good story now and again, don't we, as well? So, <laughs> awesome. Okay, so a number of organisations actively encourage volunteer work by providing time off to work with fantastic initiatives such as this. However, juggling projects, their family time, and volunteering all falls into the whole work-life balance arena. So before an engineer commits, how often do you meet with your partner? And how do you negotiate your time involvement with the programme along with your existing work commitments? Um, how often do I meet with the partners? Th that completely depends on the engineers or the STEM professional that comes into the school. Um, mm -hmm. As I said, we work completely around them. Yeah. We have had STEM professionals who come in and do a one-off talk, which is fabulous to our students. And um, as Candice mentioned before, we've had long-term partnerships where people come in once a week and they have come in for five or six years once a week. Uh, it really is up to the STEM professional as to how they work in our program. We don't no schools put any pressure on them. So if anybody's out there listening and they're thinking they can only offer once a term to come in with the school, that is really beneficial to the students as well. If you can offer once a week, that is fabulous as well. It's really truly about working around the engineer's commitments. Uh, something else that's really important to uh, be aware of as well is that um, a lot of times there's cancellations and that's on behalf of the engineers and certainly I have to apologise in advance on behalf of the schools because sometimes we get a whole pile of sick children and you, they can't come there for that day. Mm -hmm. But we are also very cognisant of the fact that the engineers have a completely different life and a full-time job and if you need to cancel on a day, that's also very acceptable. Mm -hmm. That's a matter of a text message in the morning and yeah. you go back to your office and have your meetings and yeah. that's always acceptable. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah, just rearrange it, yeah. Yeah, so I just wanted to follow on some of the things that Desley mentioned. So um, as she mentioned, each partnership is unique as the teacher and STEM professionals work out together what works best for them, depending on how much time they can commit. Um, there's a wide range of opportunities available as part of the partnership. Um, in terms of, you know, the, the uh, other organizations, there's, uh, we work with more than 300 organizations who have staff as part of their program. Wow. Our program supports many organizations' corporate social responsibility plans, and the program provides many professional development opportunities for the STEM professionals involved. Um, so for example, they found that they have an increase in confidence, presentation, and communication skills, and also report increased passion in their work. So the time that you put in, actually, you get a lot of it back. Mm. Um, but like Desley says, we understand that life gets busy, so be realistic about the time you can commit. Um, if you can only provide online support, that's fine. You know, if you can actually go and visit the classroom, that's great. But you know, you talk to the teacher and you work out um, your expectations and manage what's best for you. Yeah, that sounds good. Fantastic. So um, a number of engineers who are listening might be um, you know, looking forward to getting involved. I know when I first heard you talking, uh, Candice, so you were talking so passionately about this, this topic, and plus hearing all about the enthusiastic volunteers working the program, it really inspired me to register straight away. However, I'm sure you will agree that working in an office and working with children are two completely different environments that some engineers might not be comfortable with in terms of being you know, about out of their comfort zone. So do you provide any sort of training or guidance or as how do you adapt to the classroom and working with children and are there any specific qualities that the engineers require? So first off, um, I was really happy when you registered for the program, Paul. Um, yes, <laughs> part of being in this program means you get support from our team. So um, we understand that some STEM professionals may not have been inside a classroom for decades, so it can be really daunting. Yeah, for um, sure. 
as Desiree suggested, we suggest um, an informal face-to-face -face meeting with the teachers and students for those running a classroom-based activity to introduce you to the students so you feel more confident and comfortable. Mm -hmm. Or you know maybe you talk about working with a small group. Um, so you're there to help stem learning for the teacher and the students by sharing your area of expertise. The teacher knows what works best and how to manage the classroom, so work together on the delivery of the activity. Okay. Yeah, so not all partnership activities need to be classroom-based, but we can provide some top tips for you to help you if you're interested in doing lesson-based activities. This includes keeping things simple, talking about what you do, where you work, and spark student interest, and also to avoid jargon so they understand what you're talking about. Um, so yeah, we have several templates online that help you plan and deliver an activity that'll prompt some questions you may not have considered, such as health and safety requirements. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also help you assess the activity to help you identify what worked well and what might work better next time. So okay. I think in terms of adapting to the classroom and working with children, that's where the partner teacher is invaluable. So Desiree, what do you think about that? Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that completely. And um, over the five to seven years I've been involved in the program, I haven't had one STEM professional who has come to the school that has felt comfortable when they've walked through the door. By the time <laughs> they've walked out of the door after the first day, they're feeling comfortable. Mm -hmm. Com completely understand that. I would feel very uncomfortable walking into an office building and working in some of your environments or onto a building site. Uh -huh. So when the um, engineers come in, uh, you never have to be concerned. We don't leave you in the room by yourself. None of the, none of the things like discipline or... Um, organizing, most of the time organizing resources, that's all done for you. You're, you come and you deliver your content, which is amazing for us. Mm -hmm. So we, we go out of our way to make yourself feel comfortable. We do all the talking, and like Candace said, the first couple of sessions are really just talking about who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are, and that's the best motivator for the students. And most people are comfortable about talking about themselves like that. They can talk um, off the top of their head with that. Uh, and then after a while, we coordinate what you do and we coordinate the curriculum that you deliver. So we're very familiar with it. We give a lot of advice. Um, there's sorts of lots of things. Um, I've had a few instances where uh, fabulous people have brought in um, YouTube clips to share with the students, but they don't delete the ads at the beginning of the YouTube clips. And there's quite <laughs> a few inappropriate um, ads at the beginning of YouTube clips. <laughs> I learned that lesson the first time, and uh, we've never done it again. So things like they, uh, you know, uh, you guys send us, um, you know, clips, and uh, we talk about that and the appropriateness of them. And sometimes a lot of uh, you plan a lot of activities, and we can sort of say to you, maybe we need to modify them and we need to shorten this activity and or maybe we need to have a lot of more hands-on activities in this particular part so that we can keep the kids engaged so we work with you that way mm -hmm. fantastic that's really good awesome okay well um we'll have a little break for a bit and um we'll uh find out a little bit more about you two um so what we're going to do is stop for a little bit of fun change the dynamic of the session so it's right over to you sharon for the rapid roundup it's time for Rapid Roundup. Bondi Radio. Thanks, Paul. Today in a talking buildings first, we have two guests in the hot seat simultaneously. Fun stuff. <laughs> uh, this might work best if I ask a question and alternate who has the joy of going first. So, uh, Candy Skezzy, if you are ready to go, here we go. Candy, we'll start with you. First question. Do you have like a guilty pleasure TV show that you shamefully like to watch? All right, so if my colleagues are listening at work, they're <laughs> gonna laugh. 
but it's a master chef and I know a lot of it's scripted but I love watching people cook and I really get sucked into the drama. <laughs> Wonderful. What about you, Desmond? Yeah, okay, so hopefully none of my students are listening because <laughs> Game, <laughs> Game of Thrones is what does it for me. <laughs> so every Monday night when the season's on, we're up there, my family and I, and we are watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> Wonderful. So I guess no little kids at home then. There are nobody <laughs> under the age of 28 in my house. <laughs> and, and Desi, do you have any pets? Well, that's a really good question because I do. I have a couple of chickens and they are my favourite girls in my house. <laughs> we love our chickens and uh, they've got names such as Jon Snow and Tyrion and Jamie, and they oh. all come from Game of Thrones as well. <laughs> uh, and uh, the best thing about them is that they give us eggs every day. So I've had organic eggs for at least the last 10 years of my life. Oh, wonderful. I actually had a um, chicken and a rooster growing up. Um, just a rooster? Yeah, we didn't. We bought them as little chicks when we were little. We begged our parents to get them from the markets. Yes. And then they did grow up. One into a chicken that gave us an, one egg every day. Yes. And a rooster who, who tormented us. Who tormented and <laughs> the neighbours. And our neighbours until we <laughs> had to send them off. The um, so what about you, Candy? Is any pets... Uh, I had a few pets growing up and none at the moment. My kids are begging me to get a pet, <laughs> but I'm, you know, they're still under six, so I'm kind of waiting, Push, waiting for the putting time it off. to, to yeah. get the pet. Yeah. yeah. And, Candice, what's the most important piece of um, life advice you've, you've given to your kids? Um, okay, so to my kids, I think it would be about empathy and thinking about others. Yeah. Okay, good. What about you? What about you, Desi? Like to your students? Well, to my own children, or your own children, my own children, it was not to jump across balconies on schoolies week. <laughs> that was the most important advice I gave them. But to my <laughs> students, um, to my students at school, it's um, to develop their growth mindset and to uh, not put any limits on their growth mindset. We know that they've got neuroplasticity these days, and the brain can grow. So there is no limits to what you can do in life. So we're continually telling them, "You can do it. You can do it. Just have a go." That's fantastic. And as a teacher, you're providing lessons every day, but what's the most important lesson you've learned from a child? I thought about this question and I actually asked quite a few of the teachers and, and then I rethought about it last night. And um, it, interestingly enough, I've learned to become a risk taker from watching my students. I'm probably um, a mm. quite a conservative mother of three and I'm, I'm, you know, I live a pretty, you know, pedestrian life, if that's <laughs> the case. But... Um, I'm learning from them to be risk takers and, and the example of that is is when we have STEM professionals in and at the moment we've got a lot of coders in there and I am as fearful of coding as I am of death <laughs> and they're always saying to me take a risk Mrs Tate and they pull the computer out and they sit it up and they set <laughs> it up for me and I have a go and I don't want to admit to too many people but I think I'm starting to enjoy coding. Wow. Don't tell anybody <laughs> that though. <laughs> what about you Candice? Have you ever learnt any lessons from being around kids? Um, I, I, you know, I think it's it's similar to what Cecilia was yeah. mentioning about risk-taking and, and just like almost just enjoying the moment, you know? Yeah. So a lot of times right now as adults in work, we're always thinking and preparing and just trying to, you know, risk management, yeah. you know, but, you know, with the kids, they're just out there and, and ready to go and, and, you know, just to jump in, you know? And so that's kind of what I <laughs> am learning from them right now, yeah. Wonderful. And... Candice, where would be, you say be the most insane place in the world that you've ever traveled to? Uh, or the coolest place? <laughs> the coolest place. 
Uh, well, I have family in Malaysia, and yep. that's quite nice to go visit them from time to time. Oh, wonderful. And what about you, Desi? Oh, the coolest place I've been to is Detroit in Michigan, and I've just come back from there, and it is the uber city of the world. Really? Yeah, I so wouldn't have thought so. No, no, well, you wouldn't have thought so with all the poverty there and the racial rights, but they've cleaned it up, and it is going to be an uber city. Wow. Okay, so Desi, do you speak any other languages? Sadly, I spoke Spanish till I was five and now I've forgotten it all. So, no, I <laughs> don't speak any other languages. <laughs> Candy? Um, learned a bit of French when I was in Canada, but lost that. And uh, my, my side of the family speaks Cantonese to my uh -huh. kids, and um, my husband's side of the family speaks Mandarin. So, we have a bit of Mandarin, Cantonese, English going on going in the house. <laughs> Wonderful. And, Candice, have you ever been mistaken for a celebrity or another person? Okay, so I haven't been mistaken for a celebrity, but I have been mistaken for a child over the phone several times. Oh so my goodness. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so when I answer, they'll ask if I can speak, if they can speak with my mom or dad, and that's happened a few times, and I'm always very conscious when I answer the phone at work to try and, like, sound more adult-like. How does one do that exactly? <laughs> <laughs> you use bigger words. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Have, Desi, have you ever been mistaken for um, a celebrity or... That's a very funny question, and I think the demographics out there are probably listening to this are probably about the same age as me. So when I was about fifteen, someone mistook me for Susie Quattro. <laughs> I thought oh, it was so cool. <laughs> Brilliant. And um, Desi, have you ever called any of uh, any other part of the world home? Yeah, my husband and I call Yamba home. We go there every year and spend a couple of weeks up there, and we'd eventually like to live up there. So we've lived in Sydney all our life, but. I'd like to call Yamba my other home, just Aww. near Byron Bay. Yeah. What about you, Candice? Uh, so to me, home is three places, actually. So um, I mentioned earlier I was in Canada. So I was born in Canada, spent the majority of my teenage years and early 20s in the U.S. Okay. Um, and now I'm raising my own family in Australia. So I think the whole, like, multiple home countries thing is a lot more common these days. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what do you enjoy doing to when you relax at the weekend, Candice? So... I would say my kids, but they're not very relaxing. <laughs> um, but, you know, something that I've tried to pick up is uh, to do some gardening. I'm not very good at it. Um, and we've also started a worm bin after my kids begged for it. And, you know, getting better at, at working with the worms and, and, you know, keeping my plants alive. Oh, wonderful. And it looks like they're starting you off on the, the, the thing to, towards pets, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Start small. <laughs> what about you, Desi? Um, I'd like to say something really intelligent, like read or study, but I just like to go to the beach on the weekend oh, and wow. uh, swim and go to the gym um, and go out to dinner with my husband. Perfect. Sounds great. Thanks, guys, for sharing a bit of your life and experience with us. It's, it's, a, it's only a bit of fun, but it can be hard to come up with some quality answers. I would certainly struggle. You have both graduated, though, with flying colors, A+. <laughs> and, Paul, back over to you. Rapid Roundup. Bondi Radio. Thanks, Sharon. Big gold star to you for coming up with those questions. And well done to um, Mrs. Tate. <laughs> oh, thank and you. And Mrs. Lim for participating. Um, it's really great. Thank you very much. So back to the theme of this session, unlocking future engineering potential. I'd like to start this part of the session just with a, a quote that I thought was quite relevant. It goes a little bit like this. For whatever reason, I didn't succumb to the stereotype that science wasn't for girls. I got encouragement from my parents. I never ran into a teacher 
or a counsellor who told me that science was just for boys. A lot of my friends did, and that's from Sally Ride, who was the first American woman in space. Um, I thought this was quite relevant um, because um, despite this, when it comes to the fields of science, technology, engineering and maths, women have to work a lot harder to get recognition they deserve. Yet only 11% of today's engineers are women. So does that matter? And what, other, what would our world look like if that balance was 50-50? So with that in mind, in your opinion, Candice, how important do you feel it is to encourage STEM for women and promote women in engineering? You know, women in engineering and women in STEM in general are really huge topics that are on the minds of many organizations, including ours. I've met many women in, uh, in STEM who are volunteers in the program who share their own experience of being one of only a few girls in their physics or advanced math classes and how they want to change the stereotype and encourage more girls to go into these subjects. It really does help having female role models to change what an architect or building engineer looks like. So Paul, at the event where I met you, we ran it together with the Sydney Women in Engineering Group of Engineers Australia. Mm -hmm. And I was so impressed with everyone who attended, both men and women, who believed that improving the balance of men and women in engineering would benefit everyone. So I'm really glad to see that there's already a strong number of people who are helping to address this issue and really looking forward to seeing the movement grow. Um, so we heard earlier, Desley, about how you've been involved in the program now for around you know, about five years or so. So during that time, has there been any particular standout moments during, during that time, for example, where an engineer has maybe provided, say, a demonstration or a presentation, might be a discussion or experiment that specifically made a key difference to either the pupils, your curriculum, or your colleagues, which will inspire our listeners who are all effectively potential volunteers of the program? Okay, yeah, there have been. Um, there's one particular one that I'll just mention because we've only got a few minutes, and that was uh, one of the engineers that I'm sure all my audience has heard about, Rube Goldberg. So one of the engineers that came in uh, decided to get our students to have a challenge and create Rube Goldberg's, which was a fantastic project. We worked together on that um, and made it, differentiated and modified it for the actual group of students. The kids learnt so much about working on a Rube Goldberg, but... Also, the added benefit was, was a couple of years later, um, a student left my program and went off and started first year engineering at university and came back to me and told me how in her first year of engineering at Sydney University, they got them to create a Rube Goldberg. And because <laughs> she had been exposed to it years before, she actually won the Rube Goldberg Sydney University competition. And she, that's what she told me she won it because of that. I think she was just being really nice to me, but she actually <laughs> did win it. Um, yeah. And she said it was because of her experience in the junior school doing a Rube Goldberg. So you just can't put a price on those benefits. That's fantastic. What about you, Candice? Have you got any, um, any sort of standout mem uh, memories or any good news stories that from the program? Um, yeah, so part of uh, one of the perks, I guess, of my job is that we're encouraged to go out and visit partnerships to see what they're doing in yeah. real life. Um, so I recently joined one between a primary school teacher and an ICT professional um, where he talked about how motors work and guided in an activity where the students built their own simple motors. And everyone was engaged. You could see the students excited about what they were doing and focused to get the tasks done. And then when each team finished their motors, they would cheer. Like it was just this <laughs> weird, like you could have like pockets of cheers in the classroom. <laughs> it was such a great atmosphere. I got to speak to the teacher and she said that she was so pleased with the activity as it's something she would never be able to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. So having a volunteer come in opened up new learning opportunities for her and her students. Yeah. That's great to hear. Um, so in a similar vein, over the last five years, have you personally noticed a big difference in students taking an interest in the core subjects, like you know, which is science, technology, maths and engineering, and how encouraging is this for the digital future? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab at it first. So the, the program's most recent evaluation report, um, Building Productive Partnerships for STEM Education, shows that STEM professionals and schools, um, our program, is a highly effective program that provides teachers, students, schools, and STEM professionals with substantive benefits. Teachers report improved motivation and engagement in science and math teaching, <laughs> and an increase in quality of student work. And STEM professionals report increased passion in their work and improved communication skills. Um, Desley, have you seen any changes in interest in STEM subjects at your school? Yes, yeah, there have been absolutely direct um, influences on the students at the school. Uh, you know, a lot of my students now who have gone into the high school, they've now chosen STEM subjects based on their exposure in the junior school to the mentors that have come in from the, C from the STEMs in schools program with the CSIRO. Uh, they talk about choosing subjects like physics and chemistry. Uh, because of their exposure in prior years. So we have seen direct influences from these fabulous people that come in. Uh, and, yeah, it, it's been really positive all round. Mm -hmm. That's really enthusiastic to hear. Um, so um, personally, what we found then um, with Sharon and myself, we, we've, we've gone around and meeting and talking to universities, trying to encourage students um, you know, to um, get more involved. And they've never really had that really opportunity to work on the, you know, the likes of you know, like life skills um, towards work, which is like working on the res resume, communication skills, and, and perhaps mock interviews. Um, so SIBSI provides, provides itself in uh, providing knowledge, education, and training for engineers to collaborate and help the engineers of tomorrow. So how can SIBSI, or engineers tuning in, assist with the school environment in terms of, say, career insights, talks, and activities? Uh, d definitely they can help most definitely with career insights and talks. Mm -hmm. uh, my own daughter is a civil engineer oh, yeah? and she regularly goes to schools and talks, she goes to girls schools and she talks on career nights about what it means for a woman to be an engineer, what it entails, some of the advantages or disadvantages that she's come up against. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, when my daughter has spoken at the schools, the students have come up to her and said to her how she has changed. They've that Eloise has changed the way they've thought about the career. So um, the professionals coming in on these career talks are really, really valuable. And certainly with the activities, I've already said that in the classroom, what they do, it's a va very valuable um, thing. Yeah. Great. So SIBSI also has young en an, a Young Engineers Network um, whose program could also benefit from. Um, do you find that certain levels of school or, or ages tend to gel more with younger generations um, or do the more experienced en engineer resonate with students? Is, does yeah. that have a difference? Yeah, so I'll, I'll try first and then Desley can fill in. So um, what I found is that primary teachers tend to look for someone who can share their enthusiasm to match their students' energy. And so we might look for a young engineer or postgraduate student. Um, high school teachers tend to look for someone who have more experience in the field. So, ye so yes, we yes. do see that as a general trend. However, at the end of the day, it really does come back to having the partners meet to discuss how they want to work together. So sometimes the partners don't fit in this trend, and it ends up going really well because they find common ground elsewhere. Um, Desley, what's your experience with the primary students? Yes, so I'm in the primary school, uh, um, and our students really... It's an all-girls school, so our students really relate to female mentors that come into the program. Saying that, we also have male mentors, we have older gentlemen, we have younger gentlemen, we have very young engineers coming in. Our students love them all and there are advantages to all of them. So I wouldn't be limited by age or whether you're a male or a female. Just go out there, have a go and um, get a great partnership with the school because you are so valuable. Oh, wow. 
So in Australia, 15% of the working age population have a STEM qualification. The Australian Information in Industry Association report that technology is going to completely transform our economy, environment and society in the digital age. So what are the benefits of having STEM skills um, and how important is it that we embrace it and get involved? So as you mentioned, our economy and the way we work is going to change with technology, so it's really important to equip our students with the skills needed to keep up with this change. So when we talk about STEM skills, many times um, we're actually not talking about you know things like very technical things, but we're talking about skills like critical thinking and problem solving, mm -hmm. um, which can be applied to any job that a student might have in the future. So all of the STEM professionals in our program have these skills, and it's something that they can all contribute in their partnerships at any time of the year. Desiree? Yeah, um, so to develop uh, learners for the 21st century, like Candace said, we need, really the students need critical thinking and problem solving skills to be taught to them and to be exposed to them. And I live with both a husband engineer and a daughter engineer and I see that they are the ultimate problem solvers in life and that's a great thing to be. So it's really crucial for our kids to be exposed to these people in life um, so that we can make Australia a better place and have m many more successful STEM professionals. Yeah, thanks for that. Brilliant. So this has been really a fantastic and a really enjoyable session, Candice and Desley. So before we wrap up, can I just ask, you know, we've been focusing specifically on STEM professionals in schools, but what about other equally worthy projects, such as increasing participation and achievement of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders students in science, technology, engineering and mathematics? And how important and relevant are these? So I'm actually really, really glad that I can share another program that CSIRO Education and Outreach runs. The Indigenous STEM Education Project aims to increase the participation and achievement of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students in STEM and on into employment. Um, there are six program elements that target primary and middle school students in remote Indigenous communities, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students in mainstream upper primary and junior secondary schools across Australia, a select cohort of year 10, 11, and 12 students from across Australia who have demonstrated aptitude in the sciences and mathematics, and tertiary students who otherwise might not have access to a university STEM education. So one of the key aspects of the program is a comprehensive monitoring and evaluation program to identify best practice in teaching STEM to influence participation by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students. The project's halfway through the five-year funding agreement. And um, since the program began in October 2014, the program has reached over 13,000 Indigenous students engaged in the project since uh, 2014 across six different program areas. 635 teachers engaged in teaching STEM in an indigenous context, and 94 schools across Australia engaged in the project. So projects like these are important because we know that diversity feeds into innovation. So whether that's increasing the number of women in STEM or the participation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students in STEM, all of it feeds back into building Australia's STEM-enabled workforce. Um, if you have any questions or you know, want to learn more about it, you can find out more about it um, on our CSIRO Education and Outreach website. Okay, fantastic, thank you. Brilliant. Candice and Desley, thank you so much for joining us today. It really has been inspiring and an enthusiastic discussion. It's been a pleasure and I hope you've enjoyed it. And I'm sure everyone tuning in will also agree that it's been a thoroughly entertaining and educating session. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you both um, to Sharon and Paul plus Dipsy for allowing us to take part in your new initiative um, at such an awesome location up on our <laughs> beach. Yeah, always makes a difference in the sun shining. Okay, so just to wrap up, we'll, um, what we'll do, we'll include a link on the SIBSI website to highlight some of the key takeaways from today's session. 
and that'll include what the STEM program's all about, um, how you can get involved. We'll maybe put some links on there to the website um, for the CSIRO program, and also um, contact details for Candice if anyone wants any further information. Um, we'd like to express our thanks to our industry sponsors, ARBS, who have made this all possible. For those not aware, ARBS is the Air Conditioning, Refrigeration and Building Services Exhibition, which is free to attend and takes place on the 8th to the 10th of May 2018 at the Sydney Convention and Exhibition Centre. ARBS has over 358 exhibitors and in excess of 8,000 visitors and a great opportunity to learn about the latest technologies, the standards and best practice through the Cutting Edge Seminar Programme held alongside the exhibition to stay informed on topics and issues that are shaping and affecting our industry. To register and for more information, please visit www.arbs.com.au. Please also subscribe to our broadcast where you can replay previous podcasts where we've explored and tackled various topics, including engineering excellence, incoming changes to legislation and standards. We also tackled ethics, looked at training and education, and doing good for our planet, engineering career success, and plus saving energy for the f assets of our future. On our news page, you can find out more details about these topics, including how to get in contact with our guest pre presenters. If you would want to find out more about SIBSI, then be sure to look us up at www.sibsi.org.au, where you can also sign up for our monthly e-news. Our show is produced by Sheena Alexandra and Keith Hodgson at Bondi Radio on the world-famous Bondi Beach. Just like to say thanks again for Sharon for joining us as my co-host. Talking Buildings is a Sibsi Australia and New Zealand production. I'm Paul Angus, and thank you for listening. Join us for the next episode of Talking Buildings. Broadcasting from the world-famous Bondi Beach. Beach.